Start your engines, drama listeners. I am so, so excited to share with you our episode with Nina West, RuPaul's Drag Race superstar, star of the national tour of Hairspray as Edna Turnblad. Connor and I have been obsessed with Nina since before she became a household name, and this conversation is incredibly meaningful to us. I think that everybody's going to love it. So that's why it's a little bit longer than usual because we just had so much fun chatting. Now, if you also love this conversation and because it was our birthday on August 30th, we would love it if you would support us so we can continue making amazing episodes and content for you by supporting our Patreon. It's $5 a month. You get bonus episodes, usually about two to four a month, as well as access to our Instagram close friends. Maybe we'll even hop on board with the Twitter circles and see what's going on there on Drama's Twitter and so many more other little fun surprises. We love you all so much, and we know that you are going to love Nina West. Press play, curtain of an hour in. It's time to take spin. The shade and tea to spill. Ooh, drama. Oh, that's a tweet. Did they book? Who got nom? They option no. Oh, I'm not well. What, what star will we talk to today? Oh, that's a gag, honey. Say no more. Drama. Drama. Welcome to Drama, a podcast that covers theater, pop culture, love, and life. I'm Connor McDowell. And I am Dylan McDowell. Connor, you know what song has been stuck in my head for like two weeks? I think I do because we have that weird twin thing where like I have a song stuck in my head and then I hear you singing it and I'm like, wait, was I singing that to you or were you singing that to me? Like Uh we like kind of always have the same song, but tell me and then I'll tell you. I hate myself for loving you. You Oh yeah. Yeah. From POTUS. Yeah. 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 Well, they sing it at the end of POTUS, but it's in Rock of Ages, the musical, which. That's why. Yes. Which you got to see when you were here in town. We saw POTUS and the next weekend saw Rock of Ages. So Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, I'm lucky because. Hunter is always in shows that I love the music to, like Spring Awakening a couple months ago, Rock of Ages this summer, and then he's going to be starting Newsies later this month. Oh my God, all the hits. Yeah. So it's all things that I love. So whenever we're driving, he's always like, do you mind if I put on the show because I need to like hear it? And I'll be like, yes. But I mean, one day if it's a show that I don't like, I'll be in for a wild ride. But you know, it's all good. Yeah. Oh my God. You do have so much great art in Columbus. It's, It's truly, there's something going on all the time. Like you can go I see know, whenever concerts. whenever people are like, oh, you left New York, you left New York. I'm always like, yeah, but unless you've been to Columbus, you don't understand. It's like amazing. And there's so much going on all the time. And, you know, it's fun that we have this guest today because when we were at Ohio State coming into our own as young adults, as young, mm. young gay people, even this performer was the first drag queen we ever saw live. Not to steal Adam Rippon's story from the Meet the Queens of season 11, but we also, <laughs> Your memory here. well, I remember hearing that and thinking, okay, same. This was the first <laughs> drag performer we ever saw. And it's been a dream to have this queen. Our guest today, sometimes known as Andrew Levitt, is the 11 legendary drag queen of kindness, activism, entertainment, and more. Having risen to international prominence as an actress, singer, and television personality, our guest was Miss Congeniality and finished sixth place, or fifth alternate, on season 11 of RuPaul's Drag Race. A native of Columbus, Ohio, she has put drag on the map in the Midwest, curating and performing in main stage productions across the city, such as the annual 
Halloween show Heels of Horror, as well as won Entertainer of the Year in 2008. Beyond Drag Race, they made history as the first person to walk the Emmys carpet in full drag, starred in the animated film Coaster, released three EPs, and was part of the first season of RuPaul's Secret Celebrity Drag Race, and played Alice in Dragging the Classics, The Brady Bunch. You've seen this super queen on Disney+, Plus, Nickelodeon, The View, and she spent the last year on tour with the musical Hairspray, putting her own spin on the iconic role of Edna Turnblad. As a philanthropist, she has raised more than $2 million for organizations benefiting the LGBTQ youth and their families. She is the first drag queen we ever saw perform live, and the rest, as they say, is her story. Please welcome to drama, Nina, Nina fucking West! West! Hi, how are you guys? <laughs> so good. That was an introduction. Wow. Mm. Mm. you know what we had to squeeze it all in there for you i can't believe that thanks guys oh my gosh it is an honor to have you on the pod i'm thrilled i really am honored to be here thanks for we've been we've been trying to make this happen for a while so thank you so much for dealing with my crazy crazy schedule and finally having me here on the podcast oh my my gosh worth the wait i mean you are so booked and busy nina (laughs) it's wild yeah it's a little crazy i mean i wasn't when I said yes to Hairspray, I knew that my focus would be solely on that project, but it also meant juggling things in a whole different context. I'm really good at multitasking, but Hairspray taught me a lot of new skills. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she is booked and blessed, but honey, it is, <laughs> it is a, it's work to uh, manage a schedule. I, can I also imagine. feel like having kept up with you online, you rarely miss performances of Hairspray. Like, I feel like your attendance has been phenomenal. Congrats. I missed when I went out for COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I take it really seriously, right? I think that when people are spending the money on a ticket, I don't know if they're there to see me or if they're not. I take it like everyone is there to see me. Yeah. And I want to make sure that if there's even one person in that audience who bought a ticket to see me, I want to make sure that I'm on. It's difficult in this world right everything that's happening right now between COVID it's difficult to go on every night I'm lucky that I I mean I caught COVID we had rehearsals in October of 2021 and we went through July 3rd of 2022 I didn't get COVID until June like 5th or 4th that (laughs) is so wild and so like I was very mindful of everything which I would like to, you know, and I'm vaxxed and boosted. So I attribute all of those things to, I think, keeping me healthy and keeping me in the show. But yeah, I did go down. And I went down at the time when the show, I went down in Kansas City and then through Baltimore, which was really tough. Oh. But I did one I did one day in Baltimore, which was lovely. But, you know, Hairspray is set in Baltimore. And right. so you're like, ah. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, wow. And the, and the tour is kicking back up again, right? Yeah, actually, I leave tomorrow for New York and we start our second leg rehearsals. So we'll, we'll I'll meet with a, uh, some new cast members and some returning vets from the show who will all get ready to embark on our second leg. We open in Oklahoma City and we hit another year of incredible markets, including Columbus, Ohio. Yes. Truthfully, the reason why I signed up for the second leg of the tour was because this it was playing the, the historic Ohio theater and I really wanted... The opportunity to be a part of this production in my hometown and share this next chapter of my career with the city that really raised me and reared me. I thought that was really, really important. And so that's what wooed me to the second leg of the tour was, I mean, other than Edna is the role of a lifetime, right? I'm like, she is complex and she has the most, in my mind as the actor, of course, (laughs) she has the most. 
she has the most change in the show. You know, she experiences, I think, the most change and the most uh, cause and reaction. So much of it, Edna is experiencing firsthand, and the audience gets to see a transformation. And she's and she's fin- she's fantastic and wonderful and warm. And I, so it was also like I'm in love with her, and it's hard for me to imagine not doing it. So there are so many reasons why I had to say yes. But Columbus being on the second leg was like really the icing on the cake. I was like, oh yeah, I can't, I can't not do this. Right, <laughs> right. Well, I am so excited to finally see it because I know y'all came to, I think Springfield and then Akron, but it was during the week and it was just tough to get out there. And I'm sure a lot of Ohio people were able to make it though. We've done a few Ohio dates. We did Cincinnati, which was yeah. um, sold out. I mean, all these Ohio dates, most actually most of our run has been, I mean, we're very, we're doing really well on the road, which is really <laughs> Uh, we did Cincinnati and we did Springfield, we did Akron and this leg we get to do Columbus and it's, I mean, it's a dream come true. And it's like also like we're doing all Broadway across America cities. So we're okay. going to be in Los Angeles and Portland and Seattle and Boston and Austin. And I mean, these markets are just insanity. And, you know, our first leg was, you know, this, this is why we're, you know, why you sign up and do these, these kinds of things. Cause tour life is, a, it's a whole different set of rules and it's a whole different type of training and conditioning your body and, and really like pampering yourself to be prepared to do work eight shows a week on the road. It's like very different and than anything I've experienced. And I, and I have toured all over the world. I have done <laughs> bus and truck tours with drag queens across the country. I, you know, like I have done all of those things and this really forced me to take a step back and, and really like prioritize my health. Like I said, when talking mm-hmm. about COVID, prioritize my mental health, my physical ability, you know, my instrument, my, both my singing and my speaking voice, and just really be mindful that this job required all of me, not just from the time I woke up every morning until the time I got back to my hotel room. It's not just the two hour show or the two and a half hour show. It's like, you have to be really like you're an athlete and you have to conditioning yourself to do these shows. And I never really took that into consideration until I was doing it. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is very different than I thought it was. And did you get any advice going into it? I mean, I know that Jerry Mitchell has been a bit of a mentor. (laughs) Yeah. He told me a lot of different things. I was doing, I was actively doing CrossFit prior to being cast in Hairspray. So I was like actively working on my, like, you know, on my, my physical appearance. And uh, I forget who said it. It was either Jerry or Jack O'Brien who said, oh, you can continue to work out as long as you have a cheeseburger in your hand on the treadmill. I'm like, okay, well, you know, and then COVID happened. I mean, like I have been attached to this project in some way or another since, since like December of 2019. Okay. But like conversation started in July or August of 2019 and season 11 stopped airing. Like we, our finale aired in May of 2019. So like that was a really actually quite a fast turnaround. So the hairspray has been in my life for the last three years prior yeah. to me really doing it. You know, like, when, you know, of course I asked for a lot of advice. I asked friends who had done national tours. I was asking people who were on Broadway shows. I was like, what, like, what do I expect? And, and I, the kind of the consistent answer was <laughs> know where you can do laundry. <laughs> don't overpack. And I, I didn't listen to any right. of course. <laughs> <laughs> like I never could find a place to do laundry on the first leg. I, ne- I I had like too many suitcases. Like, oh, I'm gonna need an outfit for this. 
And there was all these things I just didn't do. <laughs> like, it's like, we just don't have time to like, and, and especially we were living in a very different world of COVID on the first leg of the sure. tour. It's a little different now, but very consistent. The rules are very consistently the same for us. But like, we were afraid to leave our hotel. We were afraid to like, go to a restaurant. It was like, we, no one can, you, we were just, we couldn't get sick. Mm. And so, and doing a national tour in the time of COVID is so I've never done a national tour any other time. So <laughs> tour. So it's like, I don't know what the expectations are and like how it works. I just know what this experience was. And it was, the first leg was super challenging because we didn't have the same experience. I think that other tours have where the company might go out and group food collectively sure. together as a group or go out to a bar or go to like a drag show or go, you know, like we didn't have that kind of collective experience as a, as a company. And I think that might change a little bit on the second leg, but I know that the guidelines are still really tough in, t in terms of they're very strict. We, yeah. They want us to be in our best physical shape. And I would agree, like, that seems to be the priority. So I need to figure out a way to see the show. I mean, Hairspray is one of the best musicals of all time, for real. I mean, the book is so tight and funny and heartfelt. And the music, every single song is a bop. Yeah. You know, if you were to ask me what the best closing to any Broadway musical is, I think it is You Can't Stop the Beat. I think mm -hmm. it is a song that is the, the best summation of our, of our plot. We get to see all of our characters, all of our heroes, and all of our villains. We get to tie it all up. And the energy of that song, that Shaman and Whitman Ugh. classic, I think after 2002... You can tr you can like track every musical trying to replicate. You can't stop the beat. They're like this is how you close a Broadway show now. This is how you do it. And um, even something like Wedding Singer. That's probably a bad example. No, I, I agree. They bring all the characters back in that. You know, like but like you yeah. know, but like they tr there's this huge summation and this high energy finale that that they're trying to capture, and they just you can't replicate it. You know, even like you, I've heard stories where. You know, people would want, want to hire Jerry. Jerry shared this story. He's like, they want me to come in. They want me to replicate You Can't Stop the Beat. And he's like, I just, I mean, the music isn't as good or the storytelling mm -hmm. isn't as good. And I can just, you know, and it's like, and, I, and I'll have to pass or I'll have to. This was like a perfect storm, I think, of everyone's best work on this piece. You know, oh, yeah. the best writing for the book. Because you're right, the book is so tight. The jokes are so tight. The beats are there. The rhythms are there. Where, like, there's no excess line or word. Everything is chosen decisively. And, then, mm -hmm. and every scene is a volley. That book is so tight. The music, you're right. You can't, st you cannot deny that from Good Morning Baltimore to I Can Hear the Bells to You're Timeless to Me to Cooties to Baltimore Crabs. I mean, all these songs serve the piece mm -hmm. through and through. And what we, our job as actors was to come in and say, oh, right. We don't need to add any fluff. We don't need to add any extra noise or bells and whistles because yeah. the story and the book are there for us. Just we have to be there to be aids to the story. Mm -hmm. And so the best way to do that is to like tell the story. Don't don't add any kind of ridiculousness to it. And that was right. a challenge for me as a drag queen because I'm used to stepping on stage and adding all of the bells and whistles, <laughs> right? You know, you wanna you over emphasize everything and you accentuate everything and every moment has a I really had to refocus on my ability mm. that I'd learned years ago that I had to revisit for this 
Well, I know you had done a lot of theater in Columbus. I remember Buyer and Seller and um, what was the Peter Pan one? That- oh, Peter and the Starcatcher. Peter and the Starcatcher. Wow. Yeah. So it's not like this was just like a stunt casting. I mean, you are truly, you cut your teeth doing theater. I'm thinking though, at the end of your timeless to me, I'll never forget seeing Connor and I saw it on Broadway in like 2007 or something with, is Paul Voigt or Vote? Yeah, Paul Voigt. Yeah. Yeah. Unreal. And I remember thinking, is he improving everything at the end? You know, when Edna and Wilbur are like standing there, is that all improv or is that scripted? Um, well, that's, that's a great question. Some of it is improv. Some okay. of it is scripted and it just depends on the Edna and Wilbur combo. Mm. So you're not, we're not given a lot of free reign to step away from the, the script at all. Anyone in the show is, you're not allowed to, like in any show, you're not, you have yeah. to tell the story, but in the rehearsal process, you get to find a rhythm and you are encouraged and really pushed to make it your own. So there are things that Harvey did that were very successful that are mm. still in the show. There are things that Bruce Valanche did that have mm. that have made its way organically and sometimes not into and out of the show. And it really depends on, I think, culturally what's happening at the time. And also, I think, the, the, the pairing. So like me and my Wilbur, we would... Like, so I have a new Wilbur that's coming into the second leg. My first Wilbur, Chris Swan, who is an incredibly brilliant actor who's going to be actually um, touring the country as Daddy Warbucks in Annie. Oh, awesome. To Annie, yeah. Um, he and I would play depending on the city we were in and if we could make it feel both of the of the period, like we were trying to be mindful of the time period and also be mindful of the 60s, 1962, and also of the, the location we might be in. Mm. And we don't go off the rail. There are some stories where there have been some Ednas and some Wilbers that have gone, that have ta- have really milked their moments. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you're just like, I would feel so guilty. <laughs> just to, like holding the audience like to my to my beats and my rhythms that were not I think rehearsed in a way there's a cadence that the way I the way I approach it is there's a cadence to what I'm doing I might change up my cadence and improv in that cadence mm-hmm. but I'm not really going outside of those rhythms like yeah. I'm, I'm really trying to keep it so that way people backstage who are listening are also paying attention to they know my rhythm they might I might change up the words but they know what I'm like they know they can rely on Right, right, right. We better get ready for without love. Right. Or, but you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Well, I'm so excited for you to kick off this second leg. And I know you said that we were finding you on your last day in Columbus before you go back to New York. And we did dive into Hairspray. But, Nina, I'm wondering something we ask all of our guests, which is, are you well? Oh, my gosh. Yes. Are you kidding? I'm in the midst of a, a dream realized. It's really interesting to talk about when you are when you've worked for something for so long or you have dreamt about it since you were a kid and I'm in the midst of living out something that I never really, I mean, I always thought could be a possibility, but I never thought would ever actually happen. And so I am, of course I'm well, I'm thriving. I am, I'm encouraged by these things happening because it means that it can happen for somebody else who's just like me, who may not think it's uh, the doors have opened for them or it also encourages me to go, what else can I dream for? Like, what else can I ask the universe for? What else can I work towards? And so, you know, like I just came back from doing an event with Adina Menzel in the Hampton <laughs> and, you know, like hosting her event for her for a broader way, which is her charity organization. And she asked me personally to do that. And that's like, <laughs> I, 
you could have told me five years ago that that would happen. I would have called you a liar. It's like, that's going to happen, girl. Yeah. But thank you. Um, <laughs> like, you know, I mean, uh, I mean, there's a lot of really crazy experiences I've had because of drag race and my career up to drag race. I mean, a lot of things have happened organically and I'm well I'm beyond well. And even in my most trying and challenging times, I'm trying to, you know, constantly remind myself that I have asked for this and, you know, I am in the midst of it. Sometimes I want to put myself, I'm, I sometimes like so many people, I'm like, what's next? What's next? What's next? Like, what, what am I working towards? What am I working towards? What's after this? What's after this? And I'm really, thanks a lot to this hairspray experience, am finally able to stop for a second and go, my gosh, this is pretty incredible. So yeah, I'm really good. <laughs> I, I love to hear it. I mean, you exude such a warm, positive energy. And I think that it's all just coming back to you, you know, like even from before Drag Race, I mean, people have always wanted the best for you. I, all of our friends are always like, oh, is Nina going to do Drag Race? And, you know, coming up through yeah. those years of those Long Island nights and things like that, it's, oh it's really God. cool to see where you're at now. But, you know, I remember though, I mean, it's like, that wasn't that long ago. Mm -hmm. And it feels like it was forever ago. And I just was, I think I had thought like everything had happened. I think I thought that my chances had, had passed me by and I, I really had not, I not resigned myself to because my career in Columbus was a was a thriving, successful, monumental career as, as drag careers go. I mean, I was, I had, you know, I had bought my home from my drag career. I had, you know, like I was very much the, the, uh, the driver of my destiny mm. in Columbus. I was in control of my life. And that was something that I never thought would happen. I thought I was going to be a slave to somebody else's dream, mm. working towards somebody else's goals because of just drag itself not being as accessible. And of course, there's so many different things that factor into that, right? Drag Race has helped these conversations locally in all communities around the country and around the world find accessibility for entertainers and find acceptance and love for this art form that wasn't there when I first started, you know? And so I've been doing drag for a very, very long time. <laughs> um, 20, I started in 2001. So 21 years, but wow. Yeah, I'm an old, I'm an old broad. Um, but, no, no, no. Uh, but, but, you know, like to watch all of this kind of happen when I, th I think I was really at that point, I was at the precipice of a great decision prior to my getting that phone call from the producers of World of Wonder that I had gotten cast. I was just like, like this, I knew it was the last time I was auditioning for Drag Race. Mm. I was, I couldn't do it anymore. It's an emotional toll. And that's, I say that now having gotten on, I probably would have auditioned again had I not gotten on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because, but it was, I had just really resigned myself to say, this is it. And I have to start thinking about what's after drag. I have to start thinking about what's after Nina West because I'm not sure if my, if I like, if I can continue this career and, and with such highs without really having another thing to kind of build off of mm -hmm. and grow from and literally i mean the timeline is crazy i remember I, qu I put my notice in at my job i was working at uh union station union cafe in their office as in corporate management formerly known as union station <laughs> yeah formerly known as union station i was working in their corporate office and i was in charge of 
like I was a show director and I was in charge also of programming for the bars, music and, and atmosphere. And I had just had enough and I put my notice in and literally the next day I had not gotten, I literally, I had not gotten cast on Drag Race. I had no idea what my life was going to be. I just had had enough. And literally the next day I got a phone call that I was cast on the show. Mm. So it was like, Chills. <laughs> I mean, but like, it was like, I had, I think I had just, I had to close doors to open others. And I think that's really, I think my my life and my career, I've talked about this many times before. It was like, I auditioned nine times for RuPaul's Drag Race. I took, I never took their no as a final answer every season. That final time I auditioned that I got on, they opened the door for me and it changed my entire life. Mm. And I think that that is just an example in persistence. And in, I really do believe in myself even though sometimes that inner voice might knock me down and tell me that I'm not good enough or I'm overweight or that, you know, like whatever it might be that my inner Sabbath as RuPaul calls it, your inner Sabbath. I've heard that before. And she lives in my head. She is strong. She's there rent free. I hate her, but it's something that I think is also very relatable. We all have that thing within us that's saying, Am I capable? Am I, you know, and I'm a very confident person. I really believe in myself. However, I was not sure this was ever going to happen. And I was just putting a defining stake in the ground to say, I have to make a change. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is, sounds very poetic and of course, perfect. In that moment, of course, something else happened and they called, but and that's not like, I mean, I'm, I'm grateful that that happened. It's very, very, very happy ending in, the, in a way. But I do believe that to receive great bounty, a summation of all of this hard work that you, someone puts into something, you have to be willing to let go of other things mm. um, and like things that don't serve you. And I think that was a lesson that a lot of people learned in COVID. You know, like, you know, you're isolated, you're quarantined. You know, many of us for spent two years, I spent two years without working in the way that I used, I knew how to work, you know, hustling, going from bar to bar, traveling around the world, going, you know, doing my show, writing shows, whatever it was, I had to do all of that at home. And I, I recognized, my God, I'm carrying all of this baggage with me, emotional, physical shit that doesn't matter. Mm. I was at the beginning of that understanding when I quit my job before Drag Race, it was like, this is only holding me back. What is next? This is not getting me any further to or closer to what I want in my life. Mm -hmm. And that was what I really believe. I, I learned that lesson prior to Drag Race. I learned that lesson during quarantine that I had to let go of things that no longer serve me. And it's okay to put yourself first. And I am someone who really, I mean, I live my life in a pretty wide open book of believing in kindness, giving kindness to others, giving of yourself, your talent, your treasure, your time to organizations and to people and to causes you believe in. And in that great pyramid of like trying to create a better world that you want to live in, you also, you're the person who you, you have to live in that world and you can't do it successfully if you're being bogged down by all of this crap that you just that does not serve you. Sorry, that's a long-winded. It's incredible. <laughs> it's incredible. I think it's great advice that it's great advice we all can we can borrow from. Thank you for sharing all of that. I feel like I'm at the church of Nina West. I loved it. I want to wax poetic about your Columbus days really quick. Looking back, what was your favorite main stage show you put on? Well, first of all, I really loved that time period of my life. I think what we had was so special 
as a collective and as kind mm-hmm. of like a, a, a drag family and in turn like what that did for the community i like like to wax poetic on the relationships i had and the friendships that i had and the fam like that familial bond that i created with so many people really meant a lot to me and i think that that was i think what dr- what drove me so much was wanting to create something that I felt really proud to stand on stage with 12 other people or 15 other people and say, we did this together. I think that our creation of this drag family or this kind of drag identity, it doesn't happen. Mm. It doesn't just, you can't just force it to happen. And, you know, like the work that Virginia and I did as kind of matriarchs with a variety of other incredible entertainers like, I mean, Maria Garrison or Shoddy West or Cool Ethan from the Royal Renegades who was at Wall Street and then worked at Access with us. And I mean, there's a whole community of entertainers, um, Boyance and Crystal Something Something and, and, and Fancy Poo Nasty and the Love Sisters, Candy Pan. I mean, there's like a whole history, <laughs> Jasmine Knight, I mean, of just all these entertainers, names that kind of shaped me and grew me i think that's what i wax poetic about the shows were kind of the byproduct of i think how we felt about one another and about how the about the i think the life we wanted again wanted to create for ourselves because we were all just kind of these misfits and outcasts from families not accepting us or or we didn't have the ability to be out or fully our authentic selves around people that we that we cared about or loved us, our parents or our siblings, what have you, right? So I think that's the the thing that I the treasured the most in that time period because like mm. I'll never I know I won't have exactly that ever again. And that was really beautiful and super special. Mm. You know, and then I yeah. created really great shows, you know, like Heels of Horror. Those shows, those Halloween shows, it was always, how can I one-up myself? How can I, how can we collectively as a group do something we didn't do last year? What's everyone talking about? If it's, it was at Handmaid's Tale or was it, or was it Silent Hill or, and how can we make it draggy and how can we make it either really scary or really real or really funny? And I think that they all, you know, we cultivated a culture that was accepting and also a party-like atmosphere that also encouraged people to be thoughtful about what they were consuming even Mm -hmm. though many times it was like well it's just a drag show and you know we wanted it to be more than just a drag show you know that was it was more to us than just a drag show we rehearsed six weeks on these things you know we really fucking cared (laughs) <laughs> and that was the stamp of what it was, you know, for, for me. And I think for so many of us, it was that we were creating family and we were creating community in turn, the community created and lifted, lifted this monster of this kind of product up and loved it, embraced it. And my greatest training ground truthfully was the Columbus show was the Columbus community mm. was the Columbus. Uh, I mean, the, the ability to cut my teeth and learn how to write a show, learn how to manage a show, learn how to uh, work with other people, learn how to be collaborative, learn how to make mistakes and, and fall down and be picked back up and dusted off and say, okay, that was wrong. Let's try try it again. Mm-hmm. Columbus trained me for everything else. And so like, yeah, the, the, I wax poetic, I think on the entire experience that I, I love the city for that very reason. That's why I still live here. Yeah. And I think what's really cool about that too is you had this podcast that was really chronicling in real time this specific chapter of your life. I mean, I remember listening to a lot of those episodes years later because I discovered Dragcast after I moved to New York City and I wrote in to the podcast and you read my letter aloud. Oh my God. No way. 
I don't know if you'd ever remember this. It was like August. I think it was after Drag Race, but but you'd film you'd filmed it, but it hadn't come out yet. And you and Patricia read my letter aloud, and it was about how I was living in New York, working at Fifty Four Below. Oh my god! And I was missing <laughs> Columbus, and it was like this comfort, like this balm for me to like look back on that place and time. And I was so gagged sitting on the subway, hearing my letter read aloud. I never <laughs> thought it would. It captures that snapshot of that time. And so I think it's really cool too, that you have that almost like a documentary style. There would be you and Patricia and, and Mariah Ward, like people like that on the podcast talking about oh, Ohana or Wonderful World of Nina and things like that. So it's really cool. And if any diehard Nina West fans out there, it's, it's all still there. I loved, you know, and that's, I loved doing the podcast. Patricia, first of all, I'm glad you brought her up. Patricia is the person that I've written every show with. Patricia and I went to college together. Patricia mm-hmm. is my best friend. She's a, she's like a, a, she's also a business partner. We have been through everything together. I've known her for almost 25 years. And I could, Nina West is so, is, is, she's so much a part of that. And again, I just, it's really important to surround yourself with people who believe in you, who want you to succeed, who are cheering you on, who are also, who have their hand in your happiness and your success and allow you in turn to be a part of theirs. And Patricia is my greatest champion. And I just think everyone needs a Patricia. (laughs) You know what I mean? Everybody needs somebody in their life who's going to hold them. And tell them it's going to be okay or correct them and say, hey, that wasn't really right. But you know what? We're going to learn from it. Or, mm-hmm. um, or, or to hold your hand and walk through the fire and, to, and also like be also holding onto the string to pull you down when you get a little too full of yourself. I mean, there's just, I mean, everyone needs a Patricia. You're literally that Oprah video of her talking about Gail King. Like, she's the mother. I never, you know, that. that. <laughs> I mean, it's true. It's true. I mean. You, I mean, I'm sure you have somebody, when you know when you just have a friend, I would go to the ends of the earth for her. I would do anything for her. And in turn, I know she would for me. And I don't think, I mean, we met, we met literally the first night of August orientation at Denison University when we were fresh. Well, no, hold on. That's actually not true. We met before that. We both were in the wrong classroom. This, this, that's correct. We were supposed to meet a, a, a professor, a faculty advisor, and our, on the sheet, we, all, we both showed up to the wrong room. And so we were, there's just two of us, we're two people sitting in a room waiting for to meet with this faculty advisor. And I remember looking at my watch, nothing's happening. And there's this girl across the room. I'm like, well, what's, it was this weird, awkward silence. And it was like, I think we're in the wrong room. And the, that wrong room was the right room because that's when I met Patricia Taylor and oh my goodness amazing I, I mean like that's what's crazy that's what's crazy you know our my dad was sitting out in the in the hall her dad was sitting out in the hall I mean it was just really a really weird moment and then we circled back and we had first night of August orientation together outside of the coffee shop on campus it was just the universe would not let us not be together mm-hmm. uh, it was I hated mean, yeah very uh, RuPaul and Michelle Visage which you know yes. I, I <laughs> right right are you the michelle or the rue of the relationship i'm definitely the rue she's yeah you have to be the rue yeah. yeah i mean like <laughs> i mean like yeah i mean i'm definitely the rue like an <laughs> esoteric you know kind of like these wild beautiful dreamy kind of thoughts and patricia's the michelle where it's like here's the real shit this is what it is <laughs> like like no no holds barred 
direct but with love i mean like yeah we're very much that i mean yeah or i guess i'd be oprah and she'd be gail i mean she probably yeah. she might say the other thing she might be like i'm oprah and you're a gail and i'm like well whatever i'm, I'm marrying your rota who knows i mean that might yeah. be a little bit of a reference for people but <laughs> and i love that during quarantine you you did you brought the podcast back and you guys were having like Kristen Chenoweth. And did you have Glenn Close? Oh I my God. We did bring the podcast back during quarantine and it was like wild. It was like, I have an incredible publicist who has also become an incredible friend who he's like, what do you want to do? And I was like, it's quarantine. What do you want to do? And I was like, well, let's bring the podcast back because everybody's sitting at home. So we might yep. as well talk to people. And we talked to everybody. We talked to Kristen mm -hmm. Chenoweth. We talked to Patty Clarkson, Patricia Clarkson. We talked to Daisy Ridley. We talked yes, to I remember that. Burgess. We talked to Sydney Harcourt from the original company of Hamilton, who who who's a friend of mine. Literally, and we talked to I talked to Ariana DeBose, who yes. has who has become a, a you know, Kristen's become these people have become friends of mine, which is also a really weird thing because you have to remember my 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 drag race season. I was still on tour in support of season 11 when COVID happened because oh. season 12 was getting ready to premiere. So mm -hmm. we were still the touring cast that was on the road. And so like, I was just working, working, working. And then COVID happened, we hit quarantine. And it was like, everything stopped. I, I had messaged Kristen Chenoweth casually slid into her dms prior to that but it was never anything like what haven't we all and now it's like you know like i mean now we're, we're very friendly or oh. you know like it's it's just it's weird how the universe works but yeah the, the podcast coming back was pretty fantastic yeah and we've shared a few guests i mean we also had orfe we've had orfe. michael james scott i love michael james scott He's yes great friend i mean orfe and michael these are people who like they're just incredible talent with incredible heart i love them both mm-hmm and you're in you're in the same league as them you know don't worry um so you're talking about your dreams your, your path we do kind of like to go back to the beginning and sort of see where that you know burgeoned to begin with and we call it the ring of keys moment have you seen fun home or are you familiar with fun oh uh, yeah oh there of course <laughs> of course maybe a show tune sunday number you've done ring of keys yeah, yeah, yeah. we have sort of co-opted into something about discovering your love for the arts or the passion that you have followed. It could be drag, it could be theater. I know you studied that in school. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you had a ring of keys moment? Yeah, I mean, I've talked, I, I have talked about it in other interviews. I remember my parents were separated uh, at a time I was very young and my grandmother, my father's mother bought us all tickets to go see Cats. And I went with my dad to Cleveland. It was my dad and my two sisters. It was at Playhouse Square in Cleveland. We saw cats. And I remember sitting in that audience being completely, I think, thrown by the enormity of what was in front of my eyes. I was really young. I don't remember how old I was. I mean, I was maybe five, but I was young. So that was transformative for me because I was seeing a very imaginative world. I can pinpoint other things that were really impactful to my life. Like as a kid, Little Shop of Horrors was... Mm. And the Muppets, those two kind of coexisting together in my life were really important. We were I just celebrated a birthday and I was sitting with my mom and we were talking about how I was so obsessed as a kid with Jim Henson. And so I think that those were things that like, you know, those were things that informed me and made me dream. I didn't know this could be my career at that age, but it made me dream of this, of this life. I was the kid that was like, go make Jiffy Pop and then go sit in front of the TV and watch the Oscars. I yeah. was, or the Tony Awards or 
the Grammys. It was the pomp and circumstance of the award show. Even if I didn't know who was winning what, it meant something to me. For some reason, I thought I would be a part of it. I dreamt of being a part of it. So like every kind of key that on that keychain, right? <laughs> They all, they all kind of work together. Even they don't, they don't unlock the same door, it turns out they kind of do. And mm-hmm. so I, those were really big moments. The Muppets, Little Shop of Horrors. The, I, rem- I also remember another big moment was my grandma, my mom's mom, got me a double cassette recording of Phantom of the Opera mm. a couple years later. I think I, they, everyone knew I was artistic, which I think okay. <laughs> <laughs> I um, heard that on my... Uh, <laughs> Oh, he's artistic. Um, I didn't have an easy coming out, but what was happening was in my younger life, prior to my acknowledging my queerness, yeah, they tried to get, like, there was an encouragement of football at one point, you know, football for, like, a little bit in high school, but I quit. I mean, but I I was a swimmer. I was, there were all these other things. They were trying to encourage us kind of like, this is what boys do. Yeah. They also noticed my affinity for the arts and they didn't pull me away from they encouraged it i grew up in a house where music was always from abba to def leppard (laughs) to maria callis i grew up in a house filled with music and so i was given like a cultural verbiage or a cultural language Mm -hmm. i was unaware I just thought people, everyone, I just thought everyone grew up with kind of this understanding of these pop culture things. Like, Because yeah. my parents loved pop culture. My grandparents loved everyone. They just, you know, my grandmother loved old movies. So it was, I was inundated. So you add all of those keys on this key ring, right? You know, it's not just <laughs> one thing. It was, it was like a life, a, a childhood of this exposure to these beautiful things. I might not have understood what it was, but now in my adulthood, it's like, oh, I had a really great cultural literacy that really actually did inform me on all of the things I thought I could be. Mm-hmm. So I think it, you, know, you go yeah. to all those things and that's what, that's what it was. Disney is a part of it. And, you know, yeah. I'm a huge Disney lover and I know like that's a part, big part of my story. And like, especially, like, you know, I want to love Disney. I want to work with Disney. And there's, of course, it's a part of it, but in a very different way. Disney was an escape for me. It wasn't something that was provided to me necessarily. It's an interesting dance, but my ring of keys is like very full. It's a, it's a clunky keychain. Well, I, I love it because, you know, we've, we've asked every single guest, you know, over 150 episodes now at this point, we've asked every guest this question and a lot of people... They, they have like some way, like we've heard cats a few times. We've heard Annie, we've heard this, 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 that. But what's interesting for yours, Nina, is it's, it's like everything that made you who you are is on this keychain. It's not just for your career. It's like you said, this literacy, like you, you really have this, it, it really, it raised you. Like the pop culture and yeah. art really seems to have raised you into the person and performer you are. Well, you know, I have two older sisters, and so, like, I would also be impacted by what they were doing and what they were listening uh-huh. to. And <laughs> it's like, it is kind of like it, they did raise me, like, this this pop culture stuff did raise me. But it also, as a queer kid who, this is prior to the internet and that prior to social media, like, these were great escapes for me. These were safe escapes for me. These were places that I could go and imagine being Steve Martin. And, and be the dentist or be, you know, the singing bush and three amigos or be, I mean, or be one of the Von Trapp family singers. I mean, like Sound of Music was a big deal in our house because it came on once a year. 
The family all gathered. You pulled out the sofa. There were snacks made. And you, everyone watched Sound of Music. It's the same with Wizard of Oz. It was, a, mm. it was, and I think people of my age, that is a common experience. People my age and older. You, these were things you did. It was like, oh, wait, Wizard of Oz is on tonight. Everybody watched Wizard of Oz. And so. That's so cool. When you have those touchstones that are different from when the, you know, the advent of the VHS tape where you can record, which was also a big part of my upbringing was I was recording cartoons and in snippets of movies and just whatever I could record prior to that of being able to capture something and play it whenever you wanted television was a such a an event people Mm -hmm. gathered around the tv and it's why I love Julie Andrews so much I I have (laughs) such an affinity for Julie Andrews Mary Poppins is my favorite Disney movie and Sound of Music is probably my favorite film next to like West Side Story I mean you can't (laughs) Though all of those things informed me. Little Shop, I mean, I keep going back to Little Shop of Horrors, but it's like Astrid and Menken were pivotal mm-hmm. in, my, in my understanding of who I was at 10 or 11 or 12 years old. And yeah. as I grew on to be coming out just a few years later, you know, like you don't realize culturally what these pop culture things mean to you until like you're like, oh my gosh, I can, I'll hear that song or I'll hear that line. And it immediately transports me back and all of a sudden I can smell the room and I can see the people that are sitting there and I can remember the feeling of the couch and I can, you know, remember exactly in the moment how I was feeling, whether it was true elation or complete depression, right? I mean, mm. really weird how art has that impact and that's why it's so important. And I think it's interesting that all of these different elements made you who you are and then you got to sort of pay tribute to them. I mean, you have for your drag certainly over the yeah. years, but on the national, I mean, international platform of RuPaul's Drag Race, your entrance look to me felt like a very, you know, Disney, maybe like a Mary Poppins type reference. It was yellow, of course. And then you got to do the little shop moment. And I feel like I've seen you in like a, in like a, a, Maria from the Sound of Music. Yeah, I've done that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's really cool. If you go back to my drag race looks, almost everything is, it's either broad, it, most of it is Broadway inspiration. The, it's the Broadway storyline. So like my orange look is a Streisand, hello, Dolly. Yes, that's right. I did a little shop look. Like everything is has a cultural reference and significance to me in some way or another, which is what yes. I'm like, I think how everyone kind of does their drag, but. And was that your idea when going Going in, like how, however much time you had between the calls. We had eighteen. Going in. We had eighteen days. That's what I remember, or twenty-one days. Oh something like that's that. That's it. Get it all together. Yeah, and I don't. I'm like, I mean, it's it's very narrow. I don't know what it is now. That's what it was for us. Um, and do they send you like a list? They're like, you can expect this, like a space challenge or a cowboy. Ch-. You know what I mean? Like, do they get that vibe? I mean, I don't want to give away the magic, but it's not sure, like sure, sure, sure. it is very general. Okay, like you're not very specific, and I think that's great because. It leaves the contestant to guessing and it also leaves a lot of the mystery to the show. Of course, like now people talk. And so like there's so much of the mystery. If you go on Reddit, you can find out who wins whatever season they just got done filming because or whoever's in the top two, because people just are the we don't have any ability to wait and kind of find out collectively. No. No. And so like. I hate that. Yeah, I do too. But I'm also kind of like, oh, I kind of want to know. But you know, like, but Drag Race in and of itself was so, I was decisive in the look. I wasn't, I, I will, and I will own up to the fact that I wasn't the most beautiful on the runway. My looks were sometimes clunky and mannish and misproportioned, but also like 
all of those looks were authentically Nina West prior to ever getting on Drag Race. And Drag Race is there to, I mean, they were all new looks. Do you know what I mean? But it was authentically my point of view prior to Drag Race. And I think that's what makes that even as special. I couldn't, I could have gone to a designer and be like, I need something in orange that looks fierce on a run, like that's going to slay on the runway and be fierce, which wasn't who I was going into Drag Race. That wasn't, that wasn't who I was competing at. And I recognize, and Michelle Visage said this, and I'll never forget it. Drag Race is not, I'm not there to compete. I'm there to elevate. I'm there to Mm. become a better entertainer. And that's, I believe it. I didn't need to win. I now, I would have loved to have won my season. Mm -hmm. But I also, I am really proud of what I did. I was really authentic to who I was at the time. And it's really exciting for me to be able to come from an experience having, I believe, really won uh, won something from my season. Not congenial. I mean, yes, I won Miss Congeniality, but I walked away with a world opened up to me that I'm still benefiting from. That I'm yes. still reaping the rewards of four years after filming it. I mean, like, I am grateful for my time on Drag Race because it, RuPaul gave me this world. She mm. opened this world up to me, and the producers of Drag from World of Wonder said, "Girl, you did it. You showed up at our show, and you sh- and you brought yourself." And people saw me and they connected to me and whether, you know, some people love me, people hate me. I, I know that's how it is in, in reality television, but they saw me. You cannot say you don't know who Nina West is in terms mm-hmm. of like what I stand for, what I believe in, what I hold to be important to my life as an activist and as an, as an actor and a creator. Like, you know, like, and if you don't know, I think now after the show, I've really ridden this ridden this line of really defining who I am in the work that I do. Yes. I'm really proud to work with Disney. I'm really proud to be a queen that is accessible to families, specifically queer families who need access to these things, yeah. especially in this terrible, divisive time. I'm really proud to to use my voice to causes that are that do talk about a woman's right to choose and yeah. do talk about you know, access to healthcare for trans individuals and do talk about um the importance of literacy and, ta- and like all of these things because the, all of these like it's not i don't live in a vacuum right and neither do you and all of these things if it's impacting my my family or my friend it is impactful to me and that's why equally as much we need to show up for one another and i think that that Drag Race gave me this opportunity to really lay myself out on the line and say, I believe in these things. And I believe in trying to work towards a better world specifically for LGBTQIA plus people. Yes. And I think that that you came across 100% authentically yourself on Drag Race. I mean, having seen you before and we were all rooting for you, it was stressful at times. I mean, you didn't (laughs) land in the bottom though until you did. So that was- Oh, but you know what though? I mean, I was close. (laughs) Miley, Miley had your back in the in the first week. But... The whole reason I, ne- I never made it in the bottom in the first episode was because of Miley Cyrus. Yes, yes. I mean, <laughs> that's pretty cool to say. <laughs> so it was, it, it was such a great experience. And I mean, you had those moments in the workroom where you shared your coming out story or the importance of Matthew Shepard and things like that. It was just such a special season in many ways. I mean, everyone loved your relationship with Brooklyn Heights and the Brangie of it all. Like it was such an interesting season. I would have loved for you to have won, but I think you really did win. You're the, the winner. The You're the winner of season 11. I mean, well, I mean, I mean, I really love that you said that, but <laughs> it's like, I mean, it, like it did. So I'm stammering because <laughs> um, my not winning allowed me, I think, more of an opportunity to 
to fight for improve myself and my own voice. Ooh. I think I really, I wanted to prove that I was good enough to win without walking away with the crown. And I think I've done that. I have proudly walked into rooms that prior to my time in season 11, no drag queen has ever walked in before. Yeah. Um, I'm proud to have, you know, and to, I'm proud to lead a charge on encouraging, you know, family accessible entertainment with, with drag entertainers um, among many other things. And I, again, I, I really think my not winning allowed me the chance to win in my like really work professionally in ways that for it challenged me to say because i i also want to say i think i've said this maybe once in another interview i don't i left drag race thinking <laughs> the world i was gonna be terrible i yeah. left I remember leaving the show being eliminated and thinking my career was over and because you just your mind's eye again that inner voice does terrible things to you and your mind's eye is very different from what the experience is really truthfully as a whole. And you have really no idea in the moment of being able to really appropriately, I think, because you're so you're so emotionally wrapped up in it. You're so physically wrapped up in it. You don't have the ability to put it at distance and go, oh, that's what this is. I think if I went back to the show, I could probably be like, oh, right. That's what this is. Mm-hmm. And not be so overwrought in my feeling about it. Um, because when I left, I just thought, oh my gosh, I, I got eliminated. I'm let down everybody in Columbus. Mm. I have failed. And I knew what I did on the lip sync. You know, I, I, I got eliminated on a lip sync where I didn't, I think that was the most, I think, unsettling thing was that, you know, I have made a, I've made a career out of performing <laughs> as a lip sync artist to this point, And I didn't do well in the lip sync. And it was, and I agree, I should have probably been sent home, but I had just, I questioned everything and I was like, oh my gosh. And then you come back and nine months later, the, sh- the season starts to air and you go, well, wait a minute. That's right. I did do that really well. And I, and I wasn't that bad or okay, okay that looked terrible, but look at like, you know, like I'm, I'm obviously trying to overcompensate with whatever I'm saying on the runway mm-hmm. or like, I can like gauge it. And I'm like, right. In the moment I might not have been aware, but subconsciously I was very aware. I mean, it all yeah, happened for a reason, and I, I'm glad it happened the way it did. Would, yes. would you ever do it again? Yeah, I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is the greatest opportunity. RuPaul even said, you never say no to television. And what she said? <laughs> sex, or is it sex and television? I forget. She never say no to TV. She always she did. She said that many times when we were never saying no to TV. If a TV offer comes, you say yes to TV because it goes in everyone's home. And she's so right. I mean, you're like... Everyone has access to television Mm -hmm. and it puts you immediately in someone's living room. With All-Stars, it's like, of course I would do it. The timing has to be right for me. Mm -hmm. I'm not shy to say that I have a career. The career that I have is because of Drag Race and because Mm -hmm. of RuPaul. I mean, I'm, I'm very aware of that. I love that gratitude. You, you even expressed it on the reunion and in your elimination. I mean, it was so special. I think Ru was even taken aback by how forthright you were with your gratitude. Well, because I don't, because, you know, I think people want to paint. I, mean, I don't know Rue personally. I only know Rue in the context of the show. But what I do know is, is that my life has been dramatically changed because they said yes to me. Yeah. And I wouldn't be experienced. I wouldn't have the experience of singing with Alan Menken if it weren't for RuPaul. I wouldn't have the experience to, to, to pitch to Nickelodeon or to Disney this idea and have them say, you know what? Yeah. 
You know what I mean? If it weren't for RuPaul. I am very grateful to RuPaul Charles for even creating a show that allows queer people to be seen and to stand on a stage to give their voice and to be their creative, authentic selves in their queerness, in their, in their identity of that. That is powerful. And I have benefited from that. And, you know, I think, I, I, I think that I have a special relationship with RuPaul and the show as a result of being authentic and showing up and ready to show out in my own way. You know, and I think you're right. I forgot about that moment in a, in, in a way because, you know, like all of it happened so fast. But it, I feel like my time there was so well spent. Mm-hmm. People saw me. People knew. Like, again, I think when you're disingenuous, I think it reads like a, a skywriter. You know, I think it's <laughs> obvious that you're disingenuous. And then I think it, television is unforgiving. You know, it captures everything. I think showing up as your authentic self is the most important thing. So anyone who's ever going to go on Drag Race or listening to this and going, well, gosh, what advice do you have? It's like, be yourself. You mean, like, don't go on and try to be Trixie. Don't go on and try to be Bob or don't go on and try to be Nina. Go on and (laughs) be you because that's where the magic of the art form in drag lies. That's, we are interested in seeing you. We're not interested in seeing a replica of Aquaria because Aquaria is fierce and Aquaria exists and she's already doing Aquaria. And yeah. doing it better than anyone could do Aquaria. And, you know, that's the same with Jasmine Masters or wh- whoever, right? I mean, they're doing they're doing it better than you're going to be able to do it. So mm-hmm. what you can do better than anyone else is just do yourself. And that's the same with anything, you know, like, yeah. like acting and theater. I had like a, a good example of that. It would be Edna. Like I had to, I had a really hard time separating Harvey Firestein and Divine from this role when I first stepped into that, uh, that room, because I was like, they're like, what are they going to want? I'm like, are they, I'm, I'm not Harvey Firestein. I mean, he won the Tony Award for this. I'm not, I'm, that's not who I am. And Divine is a legend. That's not who I am. And I recognized in like the first week of rehearsal was just a waste because I was trying too many things of trying to like live up to whatever that standard was that they set. And I found all of my success in just sitting back and resting in my own ability and saying, this is what I bring to the table. This is who I am. And this is where the value of it is. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And for what I've heard about your interpretation of Edna is it's a new, it's it's you. I mean, it's a different take. You're not trying to do the Harvey voice or things like that. Yeah, that was um, like, that was like the number one question I got when I announced it. It was like, oh, are you going to do the voice? To the to a point where I wrote like a whole, I did a show in Provincetown over the summer and I wrote a whole medley of, it's just a Harvey medley of like, what if <laughs> I had done Harvey and, you know, because that's not what people want to see. They want, I mean, like when they was, when they see Harvey, they want to see Harvey do that. They don't, they don't want to see Andrew do Harvey. Because like, well, we, we did see a little on Drag Race, and that was that was what we saw. You know what I mean? That's that was true. You should have won. You should have won Snatch Game. Well, that's oh, well, that's how so I got much. this job. Jerry <laughs> saw my Snatch Game, and and called me out of the blue and said, oh, Nina West, I had a dream about you being Edna. And I just started to cry. I was like, what? I was like, what's happening right now? Why is Jerry Mitchell on my phone? Um, <laughs> Where'd you get my it's number? <laughs> it is really true. I had decisively made the choice to do Harvey because I knew Harvey was a hero of mine. And I knew that I could mm-hmm. do that as an impersonation. And Jerry, I didn't have any idea that the, the people who made those decisions were going to be watching that season and said, you are, you're what we're looking for. And we're going to be remounting Hairspray and we want you to be in it. And it's like... I didn't know that would lead to that. But again, what I did know was 
I was just I was decisive about what I was doing. And again, that's what made that was to cleared the path for the door to open for someone to say, ah, I appreciate that or I see that. And so like that's how that happened. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Unbelievable. Oh my God. Well, Nina, I feel like we could talk to you forever, but we do have to start wrapping up here. And before we say goodbye, we've got to end on a dose of drama, something to leave our listeners with to go out into the world and think about or consume, maybe like have dreams about, you know, like, like Jerry Mitchell having dreams about you playing Edna, you know, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Dylan, Dylan, do you want to kick us off with a dose? Yes, I've been thinking about something during this recording, and it's that Nina is the only Columbus drag queen we've seen on Drag Race, or Dracula for that matter, I believe. And we've had some Ohio queens over the years, Akasha, Penetration. Wait, isn't Cameron Michaels from Ohio? She's originally, but like... Yeah, she, yeah I think when on her season she claimed Nashville, Nashville. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we need to see another Columbus queen on Drag Race at some point. And I'm curious, Nina, who you think should audition. Uh, obviously, you know certain things. Um, I am obsessed with Hollywood West. I don't know if you have seen Hollywood yeah, later yeah, in recent yeah, years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think she's so unique and fun and could be really interesting. I've also always thought there's a place out there in the world for Crystal something something. Yeah, I thought, um, I think Crystal would be really great at Dragula. Uh, I think yeah. it'd be really exciting to see Crystal do Dragula. Uh, Holly would be really good for Drag Race. Um, I think Greta Goodbottom would be really good for Drag Race. Yeah. Columbus is not shy or short of talent. So it's a lot of people just are like like that's drag race drag race is one way it's one venue Mm -hmm. and you know or or dragula is one path and it's not for everybody and i really respect that courtney kelly's fun who else i'm like i mean boyance's fierce oh yeah Um, always i mean like virginia yeah i don't know if virginia (laughs) wants it i mean I, i used to say virginia all the time and i just don't know if she wants it which i really respect you know i'd be like virginia virginia i would think be great if my dragon was on drag race and i don't know if she wants it well you know there's so, a rumor and you don't have to say one thing or another that that she was approached for the first season there's this story that goes around that she was one of the original pitched queens and turned it down but that's we'll leave it at that and your poker face we'll, is amazing. we'll leave it at that we'll leave it at that yeah. um okay so <laughs> i've never heard that you never heard never? that oh interesting no, no yeah wait this was i've never this I've was never, like a rumor no I've, the rumor was that virginia was asked and who knows where this started and the reason why you weren't cast was there was a bit of a bitterness but from rue towards the west family from for 10 years no that's not true at all let me, yeah, let me debunk let me debunk that totally i love yes. it that's not true at all that's not true i that's not true at all i was i love that's it that's not true at all no 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 uh, RuPaul, there they have been. There have been documented podcasts of Ru Michelle's podcast where they've talked about the West family uh, prior yes. to ever being on the show. My ever being on the show, that they love Columbus drag. RuPaul has performed in Columbus prior to this kind of like rocket of her own career. Prior, oh, RuPaul's wow. been around forever, so RuPaul loves Columbus, Ohio. I think has nothing but respect and admiration for for the West family. The reason I didn't get on the first eight times I auditioned was because my tapes weren't good. And, you know, I, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like 
the uh, I remember I mean, there was a conversation for me to be on the first season of RuPaul's Drag Race, and I was approached, and uh, and I said no because I was the reigning national entertainer of the year. So that might be where that oh. rumor comes into play because that was 2008-2009, the first year. I was okay. reigning entertainer of the year, and no one knew what this drag race show was, and no one knew about RuPaul's. I think I think where this show was going to go. You know, um, and so I think I was, I think my name was on a very longer list. I don't think I ever made it to any kind of like finalist because there was never any ability for me to be able to do it. And many, not many years later, uh, a couple years later, I judged, two years later, in fact, I judged Entertainer of the Year, California Entertainer of the Year. And I sat on the panel with an executive producer of RuPaul's Drag Race who was judging as well. And I don't remember their name because I don't think there was a show anymore. But at the time, they were with the show. And uh, that pageant introduced us to Shangela, Chad Michaels, Delta Work. Oh, my god! All these all, uh, detox. That's how I met all of these queens in 2010. Who won? Who won that pageant? Shangela. I know she was Entertainer of the Year. And yeah. Shangela won California Entertainer of the Year, I believe with um yeah Alyssa was on the judges panel I mean so like so there is this and I remember there being a conversation about that first season with this executive producer I don't think it had ever gotten any further than that um, okay. and I started auditioning for the second season I didn't audition for the eighth season because of something that had happened and then auditioned through until 11. so I don't think that rumor that's an interest I've never heard that rumor but <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to tell you. I don't think it's. I don't think it's true. Yeah. But okay. Yeah. Wow. 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 I don't think so either. Because I actually. Well, I mean, yeah. Whatever. It's rumors, rumors. But I remember listening to the What's the Tea podcast with Rue and Michelle, and Michelle was. I remember her raving about you, like before you were ever on the show. I think Michelle had been to Columbus. I had worked with Michelle in Cleveland, Ohio, at Bounce Nightclub the very first time. I think in two thousand. There's an interview that I did with Michelle that's oh somewhere God. around on YouTube or somewhere. I looked <laughs> busted, but, and it might have been around two thousand ten. I mean, like Michelle, just wow, in peace, bounce. bounce. So they were very aware of us. I would find it hard to. I mean, I think that that is. That is like made up, I think, to kind of tell the lore of why I couldn't be cast when literally I'm here to tell you I wasn't cast because I had bad auditions. <laughs> I, I have the tapes. They're terrible. I understand why I wasn't cast. And like even there, like there is a very true, not so much rumor where I had heard from one of a very influential person, I'm not going to say who, about saying, you know, after I remember walking in after I was eliminated, someone said, you know, it's we've had such a great season with you. You almost didn't make it. And RuPaul said, if we're not going to put her on this season, we're not putting her on. Mm. And so that's how I was on season 11. And so, like, this is it. We've seen her tapes. We've seen her tapes. It's now. Ru wanted you. Of course, I think people want to create some kind of like origin story mm-hmm. or I just, I've never heard that rumor. <laughs> that's a really good one. I mean, like, I just don't believe that to be true. Yeah, I don't and believe And Virginia that is sickening. I mean, I'm, I can't. Yeah. And she's fierce. She's so fierce. And you know, it's like the thing with Virginia is like, I don't think she's ever auditioned for the show. Like I said, I, th- I think that she felt a lot of pressure to do it after mm. I had done it. Wasn't interested in doing the show prior to my getting on it. And I don't know if she ever, I think maybe she would want to do it. Maybe she doesn't want to do it. And I think the best thing about Virginia is that she is running her own career. She's the boss of her own world. She is owning, she managed her, runs her own Amazing. Incredible. Shout out to District West. We need to just say it on the pod. Yeah, yeah. She's the reason I started drag in the first place. You know, she is my drag mother and I credit her for so much of my 
a success in my ability. And Drag Race has been a part of our story together and separately. And it's, I think, opened up a world of opportunities for her to choose from with what she wants and doesn't want. And she sees how it has impacted my life and she sees the good and she sees the bad. And I think for, you got it. like at some point you got to say, do I want right. that or don't I? And I, I don't know. I don't know if Chris is, I don't know if he wants it. And I think that's really respectable. And if he ever were wanting to do Drag Race, I would be in his corner 110% and want to help him, you know, succeed at that. And yeah, there had been talks about him doing it, wanting to do it. And um, I've stood, you know, I think quietly on the side and, you know, will support should he want to do that. But I can't, again, any of those conversations <laughs> is never, in, never in my recollection yeah. ever have. Okay, I love it. Gosh, thank you for your candor. Thank you for your candor <laughs> on all of that. I'm a mythbuster, honey. <laughs> hey, it's, it's called drama. Okay, so, you know, there's that. You never know. You never know. Speaking of drama, my dose of drama today is I finally watched all 10 episodes of the first season of Yellow Jackets oh, on so Showtime, good. but I got on Hulu. Oh, my God. I forced oh. Dylan to watch it, and he binged it in like two days. Nina, you have I have to watch it. It is crazy it's the most captivating thrilling dramatic season of television yeah. i've seen in years like it is fascinating and like like i said like the mystery and the acting and the way they piece together these timelines i have not watched a show like this in forever like i can't even imagine watching it week to I week because i think the suspense would kill me but it's unbelievable. I mean, Melanie Linsky, Christina Ritchie, like oh it's God. it's wild. I cannot, everyone has to go watch it. If you have Hulu, I think, like I just got like a free trial of Showtime that lasted a week and I've finished the show in less time than that. So <laughs> Yellow Jackets must, is a must, must, must watch. All right, Nina, you've you've given us so much today. Oh my God, I feel I feel like bad asking you for even more. But do you have a dose of drama you want to share? Something that's on your mind or in your heart, or you want to recommend? I'm right now. I'm reading Simu Liu's book. We were it's we were dreamers. It's a memoir of uh, kind of his it's his origin story and his family's origin story, and I'm really loving that. I've been reading a lot uh, since I have been on tour, um, and on my boy my in, my andrew instagram page i kind of chronicle everything i'm reading so i think like you know i'm really enjoying giving myself over to a lot of books right now i started the showtime series i love that for you oh, i heard it's so really, good really adorable uh, which i i was brought to it by i really love molly shannon and i read <sighs> molly shannon's memoir and it's really powerful and really really beautiful and it's also very very sad and yes oh my god i heard her on a podcast is it, it was npr was it npr fresh air fresh yeah she did a fresh air interview yeah i sobbed listening to this podcast i did not know her family story she's the the book is really powerful and i of course I, I, she was on snl when i was i think in high school and going into college i think that might be the right time period yeah and i think that it is but I just really loved her. And then like my love for Molly Shannon kind of just was like, oh, she, I loved her from SNL. And then this book came out and she's from Cleveland, Ohio. And yes, I'm from yeah. Cleveland, Ohio. And there's just a lot, there's some storytelling that happens within the book that's like, oh my gosh, that's so crazy. And that's so familiar with that. And she's such a distinct voice in how she tells her story. And I think that's what brought me to, I love that for you, which she is so funny and so good in. And um, so I would say that's a really another enjoyable, I think, binge. Jennifer Lewis is in it. Yes. Um, it's just- it's Vanessa it's, Bayer, right? 
Yeah, Vanessa Bayer is in it. She's nice. so she's Vanessa Bayer and this Vanessa Bayer show, <laughs> Vanessa Bayer. Um, but I love Vanessa Bayer. Yes. <laughs> it's re- it's her vehicle. It's her. It's okay. kind of her starring role, and she's remarkable in it. And Molly Shannon just really brings. That's on my list. I need to definitely. I, I mostly read nonfiction and celebrity memoirs, and so I do too. I mean, like, listen, I I, I read Patty Lapone's memoir over <sighs> on the bus tour. Like when I was on the bus, I could not put it down. And let me tell you, that book came out in like 2012. And oh, it really she needs to do a second part. There needs to <laughs> be another incredible. part. It's so it good. Gypsy, and so much has happened beyond Gypsy. So yes. it's it stops at Gypsy, right? Mm-hmm. And really, really chronicles. It's the whole last half of the book about Sunset Boulevard. I was like, oh, I, know. I know. I not. I mean, I was, I was alive during this all. Like, how did I not? I know, right? Remember any of this. And so it was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I love a memoir and I love uh, like YA books. So like, well, speaking we, of that, you've got yeah. your own book coming out. Ah, thank you. I do. <laughs> I, really, I do. I have, uh, I have a children's book coming out October 25th called The You Kind of Kind. It is illustrated by my friend Hayden Evans. And it's about, uh, it's a, it's a book celebrating kindness in our world and a finding kindness in the wild and it's um it's a really beautiful language rich inventive creative uh story that hopefully will allow read alouds and story times to embrace this little character who is just an exuberant ball of joy who wants to give kindness and so i'm really proud of it is, Incredible. Is it, is it a young drag queen or is it a young child or it is not a drag queen i mean okay. it's I intentionally did not make it a drag queen, but I think that could also be left up into interpretation, open into interpretation, but it's not, it's not a drag character. Okay. It's, a young, it's a young child who is experiencing the world through their eyes and who is a vehicle for kindness. And there are a lot of Easter eggs in it from my own personal career, people in the story and in the illustrations, like my parents are hidden somewhere in the book and oh, I love that. John Waters is somewhere in the book. And- <laughs> My best friend Patricia somewhere in the book. Yay! And, I mean, like it's all, but it's like it's all hidden. There's a it's lot. It's coming of, out during Pat's Tober, so it's that is coming out during Pat's Tober. <laughs> but there's a lot of like hidden Easter eggs that have made it also very special. And it's that was the one of the big things I did during the pandemic. It was something I worked on. Again, it came to me in 2019. This offer came to me in 2019, and and a lot shifted and changed. And then the, I was forced to sit down, like all of us were, and I was uh-huh. like. <laughs> Like it was, it was, a, it's been three years in the process of bringing it to the world and it's here. I'm really, really excited. Oh my gosh. Yes. Well, I, I am so happy for you. You have so much going on the book, the next year of hairspray, the sky is truly the limit for you, Nina. And I can't thank you enough for sharing your time with us today. This has thank been you. such an exciting um, conversation that we've been looking forward to. Thanks for having me. You guys are remarkable and incredible. And thanks for being just so celebratory of the work that I do and the work that so many people do and embracing this. It's just, it means a lot to me. I I couldn't do it without, without you guys and people like you. So thank you. You're going to make me cry. That means oh, the world girl, put it together. Snap <laughs> <laughs> out of it. Okay. <laughs> um, and of course, if you're not following along with Nina's journey, it's at Nina West on Twitter and Instagram. And Nina follows us. So y'all should follow us too. We're at the Drama Podcast on Twitter, Instagram. I'm at Dylan McDowell. Connor is at Connor McDowell. Nina, you are magic. You made our dreams come true with this podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. All right, Connor, I'll see you next time. Drama. Drama.